Hello, and welcome to Radio SGN. I am one of your humble hosts, A.V. Eichenbaum, Managing Editor and Acting Editor-in-Chief at Seattle Gay News. And joining me today, as always, I have Hannah Saunders. Hey, everyone. I'm back. And Lindsay Anderson. Hello. How's it going? Hey, how is everybody? I'm back from Alaska. What a trip. You can read all about it in our August 27th food and travel issue. And I won't say another word on it, so do not ask me. How are you guys? Going well. Um, I just took my cat out for a walk in his cat backpack, so that was a fun way to spend a Sunday morning. A nice little pet update. Uh, Hannah, how's your dog? Dog is good. I got him a new harness the other day, and I had to run back to the store because the size small was too small, which took me by surprise. And we actually used the harness, the medium-sized one, today, and we had an awesome walk. Yeah. That's so great. I just got a new terrarium for my pet snail. So that's where I'm at. Um, It's a bright white milk snail named Rebus. And uh, I'll be posting pictures on Instagram as soon as everything's all set up. Probably might might take a little bit, but... Did you name the snail yourself? Yeah. What inspired the name Rebus? Uh, well, Rebus is a couple of different things. I'm really into puzzles, and a Rebus puzzle is like a word puzzle. I'm a big fan of Rebus puzzles, but also Rebus is a character uh, written by Grant Morrison, a non-binary uh, comic book writer who did Doom Patrol back in the 90s. Now Gerard Way is doing the new uh, iteration of Doom Patrol. Yes, that Gerard Way from Panic! at the Disco. Um, And it's not my favorite version of it. I really like the Grant Morrison version, but basically Rebus is a non-binary character who's a mixture of two, a man and a woman, brought together by this uh, dark energy thing and is, like, dealing with a lot of stuff and wears, like, the sickest shades I've ever seen. So, yeah. Highly recommend it. Uh, Late recommendation, late to the game, Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol, There's, uh, you can pick up the entire omnibus at one of my favorite comic book shops, Phoenix Comics and Games, right on uh, Broadway. So, In case you didn't know, this is our podcast for Seattle Gay News. We are in our financial issue this week. Very exciting stuff, a little over my head. Uh, money is not my strong suit, but... If you've seen the paper this week, you've probably noticed that we've got two different articles analyzing the wealth gap in America uh, from a racial perspective and also from a queer perspective. Uh, Lindsay, why don't we talk a little bit about this? You have a minor in women's studies, right? Yeah, I do. Uh, The wealth gap is definitely an interesting and complex subject to tackle. Um, I mean, it's, you know, on the surface, obviously, women are making less money than men for doing virtually the same work. Um, But the background behind that is, you know, there's a lot of reasons that lead to those numbers, um, that being the way that we socialize children and gender um, and the ways that our society devalues feminized work. um, That is like, you know, caregiver roles. um, You know, the fact that that careers like if you take the education system, um, elementary and preschool education is underpaid and also has more women in those fields, whereas then higher education, high school and college is dominated by male professionals and also 
those careers make more money. Um, but diving into how the ways that the wealth gap can also be um, divided on race and sexuality, it just makes it so much more interesting and important for people to understand that, you know, while a white woman does make about 80 cents to every dollar a white man makes, black women, Latina women, and indigenous women are making around 60 cents to every dollar a man makes. That's nearly half and over a lifetime career that is really impacting um, these women. And when it comes to the experiences of LGBTQ people in the workplace, um, they're also victims of the wealth gap, primarily uh, trans people who are denied different healthcare benefits on certain plans relating to um, work-based insurance. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of times these insurances, they will cover hormonal treatment for Um, somebody going through menopause or they will cover um, uh, IVF treatments for heterosexual couples hoping to conceive but these same treatments are denied to trans and same-sex couples. And we have a piece on the front page by Finn Bartosland who wrote something special to the SGN uh, provided by Rivendell Media. They've written for Vice, they've written for uh, HuffPost and they actually have this really great Right at the top, there's this uh, stereotype of gay couples having disposable income. Um, you know, they don't have kids, they've got double income, yada yada, and they immediately say, hey, that's not the case. You know, it's really hard for a lot of people in the LGBTQ plus community to uh, get up off their feet. They're a lot more likely to be kicked out of, like, stable homes. It's a lot harder to sort of get out there because a lot of us have to hit the ground running and don't have that support that uh, a lot of straight counterparts might. And Janice Athill writes a great piece on the wealth gap in America created by slavery fueled by racism, discrimination, and greed. And Janice Athill, again, on the front page for a reason. Uh, I'm a big fan of her work. It's a really hefty issue this week, you guys. It's really dense, but it's well-written. Um... If you want the full scoop, go ahead, find us out there, read us online at sgn.org. Another piece I wanted to go over is um, written by Renee Ricchetti about real estate and how it's a proven strategy to build wealth and how that affects the queer population as a whole. Well, um, do either of you see yourselves owning a house at any point in the future? Absolutely no, not. I do not. Absolutely not. It's crazy because we, you know, as a generation, we're the poorest, most openly queer, and we work very, very hard. And there's no way that past me could have even afforded, uh, you know, rent working three jobs, let alone saving for a house. I know that's not the case for everybody. Some people have sort of a nest egg, or they've gotten some inheritance, or they. Uh, work on OnlyFans and make a lot of money, and they have houses now, and that's awesome. Good for you. Sex work is real work. I'm not that hot, and uh, I'm a writer by trade, so owning a house for me is a is a pipe dream, unfortunately. And I feel like that's the way for a lot of people in our generations. Twelve years ago, Renee Ricchetti bought a condo in Seattle, which is amazing. Good for her. But that was also before um, the median home price grew 81%. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a fresh face out of college, and I do not see myself ever owning a house. 
um, especially not in Washington State, according to Renee Ricchetti's um, wonderfully written piece. You know, real estate since 2009, um, between 2009 and 2020, um, the home prices grew between 81%. And, you know, um, as somebody from Spokane, I'm seeing that happening across the state, not just in Seattle, but uh, home prices on the east side are really, they're rising. It's a great time to sell, but a horrible time to buy. And uh, real estate agents are making bank right now but not off of the dollars of millennials and Gen Z because we are all struggling to rent. And that ties into the wealth gap as well. Um, you know, it's really interesting no matter how you slice it. Uh, a lot a lot of folks are struggling. And I think also going back to what you said about this generation being the queerest, um, the most racially diverse, despite the fact that we're, you know, a bunch of white people on here. Um, I think that that definitely ties into the fact that this is also the generation that is going to struggle the most financially um, with being able to afford things that our parents and grandparents kind of took for granted, like a home, a car, um, children, you know, I don't, I got my cat and my dog and that is a very big financial commitment for me. I can't imagine paying for clothes for a living being on top of food and healthcare. Only clothes for a dead one, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you only got to dress them once. <laughs> I mean, we've already seen that people our age and, you know, in their 20s, they're not having as many kids as the previous generations. And a good portion of that is because how can anyone afford it? I will never be able to afford kids unless I marry rich, but like, mm, like that's not in my future buying a house too it seems just so unattainable well and having kids during a climate crisis yeah who wants that house that (laughs) might you know go up in flames in two years here in washington right and like you know in my home state of california which i have mentioned before many times um it's almost always burning down. I'm from Northern California. I'm from a near Santa Cruz, but not in Santa Cruz, near San Jose, but not in San Jose, you know? And even then, like minimum wage is what, $11 an hour there, maybe. Uh, you might make tips, but a, a one bedroom apartment is over $1,950. Like that's insane. That's more than Seattle prices for less pay in a place that is, Yes, beautiful, with beautiful people, wonderful uh, garlic, garlic festival. That's not a year-round thing, first off. And second, it might be up in flames or underwater within the next 50 years. There's no real future in real estate for a lot of younger people um, because it's just unattainable. Another interesting thing to bring up, though, and Renee talks about this a little bit in her piece, um... Buying a home in in the long term, it it can save you a lot of money in comparison to renting. I would love to be able to do that, you know? And that's the thing is, I agree with that. And I know that in my head, like logically, because property value and property taxes are much less. Like my mom's fiance, hey, Justin, how's it going? Uh, My mom's fiance, you know, his whatever his mortgage every month is a lot cheaper than my rent. But he may, he's a tech guy, he makes a lot more money, he lives in Santa Cruz. It's expensive to try to rent in Santa Cruz. My The place I used to rent, the room in a house with 15 other people, 
is now up for rent again for like $1,200. And it's just a room in a house. You know, and so it would be so great uh, in the long run. But it's like, how am I supposed to save up as a just a working class citizen? Yeah, like how do you even put down a deposit or anything like that? Right. You just You just can't right now. <laughs> hey, the future may look bleak for us, but you know who could tell us more about our bleak future? Local psychic Lars Moriendi. Yes, that's right. It's time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Seattle Gay Horoscope. Seattle Gay Horoscope. Aquarius, you feel a little overwhelmed. What else is no? Sit with that feeling and try to understand it better. Pisces, Things will work out how they always work out. Are you ever 100% satisfied with the results? Aries, pump the brakes. Live in the now. You never know what tomorrow will bring. Worrying about it won't help. Taurus, it's wine o'clock. Do you know where your coping mechanisms are? Gemini, if you try to overcorrect for being overbearing in this moment, you will come off as insincere. Try distracting yourself. Cancer, you're kind of a freak, huh? I love that for you. What a wild few weeks it's been. Don't worry, life is relentless in its ability to surprise. Virgo, you've been getting a lot of mixed signals from the people you care about. Don't overthink it. They're also confused. Libra, face your fears, even if you're worried they'll destroy you. Sometimes forests need to burn for new growth to happen. Scorpio, have you considered trying pina coladas and getting caught in the rain? Sagittarius, relax. Please, Capricorn, it's too hot out here. Drink some water and stay inside. Well, that was enlightening. Lars, if you're out there and you're listening, and I know you aren't, thank you so much for giving us a little bit of a glimpse into the great beyond. After the break, we've got a lovely conversation with Monica Domena of Save the D8 and plenty other podcasts. And then we're going to have a little bit of an update on the situation at Julia's on Broadway. So stick around. You know it's worth it. Radio SGN is brought to you by Intamin. Intamin is now the professional theater in residence at Seattle Central College. Join in and celebrate the return of the live arts in a safe outdoor setting this fall at Homecoming Performing Arts Festival. Harvard Ave between Pike Pine will be transformed with vendors, food trucks, and over 100 artists performing on the main stage. Tickets and more information at Intamin.org. That's I-N-T-I-M-A-N dot org.
Joining me today, we have a voice actor and actor for the Ugly Radio podcast, and of course, one of my favorite characters on Save the D8, Top Card, uh, Monica Domena of Party Fish Media. Monica, how are you? Well, I'm great now that you've already buttered me up by saying I'm your favorite character. So. Well, if Skylar or Kendall or Robert were here, they're also my favorite character on Perfect. the show, obviously. That's good. That's smart. Um, yeah. So you play Top Card, a lesbian tabaxi cat person on Save the D8. You're an actor on the Ugly Radio. You uh, dip your toes into theater every once in a while. Um, what's new with you? What's going on in your life? Oh, boy. Um, well, you know. I like how we started out saying, oh, we don't have to talk about COVID, but I mean, <laughs> we very much have to talk about COVID right off Absolutely. the bat. Absolutely, yeah. Because uh, theater doesn't really exist right now, you know? Mm -hmm. It kind of does with with uh, with the Zoom performances and all that sort of weird stuff. But Theater of the mind. Yes, yes. Uh, theater of the bad internet connection, mostly. <laughs> yeah, we just started our second season of Save the D8. We just were recording yesterday. We've been recording a lot. We're trying to get ahead of it. Um, and it's been it's been really good. Ugly Radio has been going really well. I just went back to work, you know. So my life is not that exciting, but boy, am I podcasting about it. Well, explain for our audience who may not know what Save the D8 is. You know, some of our listenership might not know what an actual play podcast is. Sure. I talk for a living. Save the D8 <laughs> is a... <laughs> is a D&D podcast where we have Evan, our DM. He creates this story for us, his four idiots, uh, to screw up in every possible way. So I, I play a tabaxi, which is a cat person, warlock, that is, uh, she's not a good person. She's a bad person. The podcast has been going for three years now, which is crazy to me. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that wild? We started in 2018. That is insane. That is a long time for most amateur podcasts to still be around. It really is. It, and it's wild too, because Evan, who I had met one time and was mm. like, hey, uh, you know, you're an actor. I'm reaching out to my other actor friends. Uh, Robert, one of the other players, he is a producer for Party Fish Media, which is our podcasting network. And he was like, we were talking about getting a D&D &D game together. Are you willing to do that? And I was like, that's insane. I don't know you at all. I don't know Robert at all. Yes. And here we are three years later, you know, still <laughs> playing, <laughs> playing pretend and stabbing things in theater of the mind, which is great. And it's a pretty interesting sort of setup because, I mean, we talked about this when I interviewed you for the piece that I did back in March. Um, but Great your... piece, by the way. Everyone should read it. Go look it up right now. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> don't go to our website until it's been redone, because right now it looks like something straight out of uh, the Heaven's Gate cult. It's like it's out of 1994. Um, uh, yeah, you're right. You're we're right. working on it. We're working on getting that new website up. Um, but SGN.org, <laughs> if you want to see for yourself, try to just kind of dig through. But for your piece, we talked about, you know, you play a, a lesbian tabaxi. You're non-binary, bisexual. Your pronouns are she, they. Yes. And, you know, um, Skylar plays a straight woman, which is hilarious because they are, you know, not that. And then Kendall is also bisexual. Robert 
he's Robert. I don't know his deal. I don't, I've met him very briefly and he was confused by my presence and it was lovely, lovely man. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's exactly what he's like really in all situations. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. vaguely kind of confused about what's going on and that's what we love about him. Well, he said to me, you're the gnome. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and so, <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Um, sorry for those listeners at home. I wrote a, uh, like a, I don't even know, like a, what is it, a module? A module, yeah. For my players, and then they didn't play it, and so I emailed it to you guys. And and we played it. And you played it. I'm sorry. I apologize. I probably crafted one of the most annoying characters of my lifetime, 15 years being a DM. But It was uh, it was really delightful, because, <laughs> because we love to have a character that just shows up to be annoying and, yeah. and just screw everything up all the time. Amazing. I mean, I think that's kind of how I live my life personally. So it was really true to form. <laughs> um, how is it being in a mostly queer space with a straight DM? It's funny because we didn't really discuss going into it any of those things at all, mm -hmm. right? I didn't know Robert. I didn't know Evan. I, I knew Kendall vaguely. Um, we had hung out a couple times. Like, I didn't know his orientation. Skylar, when we started the podcast, wasn't out yet. They also mm -hmm. didn't know that about themselves. So we didn't intentionally like mean to even create a podcast that is as queer as it is. Mm -hmm. But I also think that that happens with a lot of D&D games, honestly, like millennial D&D games, at least, is that you sure. always have one person that's like, oh, yeah, um, I'm going to play just like a gender fluid character, you know, just as a lark. That's pretty right. funny. And then at the end of the campaign, they're like, uh, also, I'm trans. Like that happens so often in D and D because the beauty of D and D is that you can allow yourself to just like explore spaces and identities and just like circumstances that you know you don't encounter in real life, which I think allows for a lot of creativity and also understanding, like being able to figure yourself out better through fantasy. Yeah, like through playing in a space, you can kind of realize more about your own inner workings, right? It's a, exactly. It's a very fluid, miasmic sort of way to be in a in a Dungeons and Dragons game. You know, a world of possibility. Why not play as a as a woman or as a gender fluid character if that's where you feel comfortable? And then realize, like, oh, that's that's why I get it now. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you do other podcasts. You're a, a voice actor on the Ugly Radio, which is sort of like a story time. That's not that's a bad way to put it. But, you know, like it's a bunch of stories intersected with sort of a theme. Right. Produced I, by Andrew Shanks, correct? Yes. Um, yeah. Andrew, he I think he calls it an anthology. I think mm -hmm. I think he calls it an anthology. Basically, Andrew has been doing theater for God you know, a gazillion years. Mm -hmm. No offense to Andrew. He's not that old. Um, <laughs> but he, you know, he's been involved in theater. He's been producing theater and directing, et cetera, et cetera, for forever. When the pandemic hit, a lot of theaters closed down and he didn't really have anywhere to put that energy anymore. So what he did was he just reached out to all of the writers that he knew and the actors that he knew and was like, hey, I'm doing a project. <laughs> like it was like his thing to keep him going so that he didn't lose his mind during the pandemic. And it turned into a really cool little project. You know, he knows so much of the Seattle theater scene. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting to hear a podcast that is done 100% by people whose medium is theater. 
because I find that a lot of people who go into podcasting are not necessarily theater people. They're comedians or they're, you know, they're into film or something like that. And then yeah. just for him to be like, this is 100% local Seattle theater <laughs> doing a show. It's turned out really interesting. Yeah, it's got a great vibe to it. You know, it's not like a lot of other podcasts like that I listen to. If they're scripted, often they're scripted by people who are like, I listen to NPR and this is how I am going to read this. Right. Oh, no, it's eating her and then it's going to eat me. Yes. You know, and it's yeah. the worst because I grew up listening to old radio shows like The Shadow and it's all theater people like audio medium is such an important part of my life. Basically, it's all I do is I listen to podcasts and I write for this paper. It's kind of a breath of fresh air, if if I may say so, listening to the ugly radio and, and having like this small time operation. Uh, just a quick plug. I'm just going to keep buttering you up because basically, I love it. again, all I do is listen to podcasts. Okay? Yeah, no, um, the thing that's also great about ugly radio is that that is 100% pure Andrew Shanks. Like it wouldn't have come out the same if any other theater person had been running it like, but so much of the atmosphere of it and his uh, just the idea in the first place was just so off the wall that we were mm -hmm. like, okay, yeah. Yeah. Andrew. Yeah. I'll do a piece for your little podcast or whatever it is that you've got going on. <laughs> and then it turned into something really cool. Um, I've really been enjoying that. And it's, it's nice to get my little theater fix mm -hmm. um, in between, you know, who, who knows when theater will be back again. So it's been nice. Absolutely. And there's also in Seattle, I don't know if you're aware of this, a growing radio play scene since COVID hit. Those will be in the show notes. Links to the Ugly Radio, uh, links to Save the D8. Just any listener who wants to go check out Ugly Radio, check out Save the D8, highly, highly recommend. Uh, you don't know this about me, listener at home, because <laughs> I make this show, but... I do not listen to bad podcasts, and uh, I'm just kidding. Hannah and Lindsay, you're lovely. I love working with you, but go check those out. Now, I've got some questions for you as a non-binary person myself, and you know, you're also uh, she, they identify as non-binary, and your partner is non-binary, and your co-host and friend is non-binary. There's a whole non-binary-ness going on. There's a lot going on. Gender, for a lot of our older readers and listeners, is really confusing, the spectrum of it. And I was wondering, I, I know you have some thoughts about this, I've seen it sort of online, what your thoughts on gender labels and sort of gender fluidity are. I know that's a huge umbrella. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a big very, question. It's a I love big, it. big ask, but... No, I'll just hop in with two feet. Yeah, Let's do exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Let's go. I think that when I was discovering myself in the 2010s or whatever, there was a big push, especially in those early days of like online communities, things like Tumblr and Reddit and Facebook groups, you know, where a bunch of people found themselves online. There was a big push to know your labels and find your micro communities. And yeah. like, we only, you know, you hang out with your other bi-romantic, asexual, non-binary, ADHD, you know, like whatever. You you found these little micro-communities because of the fact that, frankly, there's a lot of infighting online in the, you know, queer community about, oh, you know, whatever. But bisexuals are just mostly straight women and non-binary people are are just, you know, mostly women and, you know, mm -hmm. that's just, oh, it's just women light or whatever, you know, there's so much infighting about like who counts as 
queer. And most of that comes from like deeply hurting people. It's a community that has experienced a lot of trauma, but that led to needing to find your micro label so that you could put yourself into a little box where you could talk to a bunch of people that were in the same box as you. And you had a community that way. You know, you could connect with hundreds of people who were in this really tiny box you would put yourself in. Yeah. But as I've gotten older and I've moved kind of away from those things and I've found my own community, you know, in real life, not just online, I I found less space for that in my life. Um, When it comes to gender specifically, Mm -hmm. um, that was my, that was really late for me. Well, I came out really late just kind of across the board. Like I didn't know that I was not straight until like my final year of college, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, I didn't come out to my mother. Well, I didn't, I didn't mean to come out at all. I don't believe in coming out. I'll talk about that also, I guess. Yeah, but, sure. Like I didn't come out to my mother until I was 26. You know, like it's just like, it was late for me because I just never really spent that much time thinking about it. But ultimately what I came down to when I spent any time thinking about it, because I feel like most of my life, I was just avoiding it because I didn't want to deal with that. I was just like, "Eh, it's fine. It's fine. It's not affecting my life. I don't have to deal with it. No, it doesn't matter. If I don't look at it for long enough, (laughs) if I don't look it directly in the eyes, it's never going to catch up to me. But ultimately it just comes down to, I mean, gender isn't real. (laughs) You know, that's something that we as a society have created that like, this is what women are and this is what men are. You know, if you feel this way, you must be this. And if you feel this way, you must be that. And I deeply, deeply respect trans people who are trans women and trans men. I so respect that because they have spent so much time thinking about gender and they found the thing that fits them. That's how Mm -hmm. they feel. That's who they are. Great. I find that most cis people don't think about gender at all. They just are that thing. And then they never examine that ever. And I think that the more time you spend thinking about it, the less boxed in you are by what things are meant to be. The idea of who you are, it doesn't need to box you into to this idea of men do this, women do that, whatever, whatever. Yeah, it, um, it often does feel like you're being sold an identity from the moment you're born, right? Absolutely. Like capitalism is a huge, huge proponent of being like, you fit in this box and you do this thing. You are camouflage and, you know, sarcastic you t-shirts. Yeah. And yeah, you guys get pink camo because it's pink. I don't know why, but for me, it's like every time I look at the gender aisle at Target, I just rem- I'm reminded of like 2007 aesthetic every <laughs> single time. Yeah. Crocs with socks camo with monkeys on it it has become the same thing like you were saying where online we find our little niche boxes and we now sell ourselves this idea of like this is what this means you are a pansexual aromantic robocop lover you're on facebook this is your fandom you're a robocop lover like not like sexually i meant like the movie (laughs) i just i want to make that clear before you guys get in the comments hey remember when robocop shot that guy in the dick (laughs) <laughs> no, no, I don't. <laughs> I barely remember that film. Uh, no, uh, no one does. A cab, including RoboCop. Sorry, including nerds. RoboCop. <laughs> yeah, I don't. For a more relatable one, like you're a Harry Potter trans nerd, right? Right. And suddenly you've got like all this turf shit going on with Rowling, but you're like, I gotta really grasp onto. We were talking before recording, like 
my friends came to visit. They're all Hufflepuffs for some reason. I'm a Slytherin. That became ingrained into like my way of seeing myself, even if I don't think that I'm particularly like nasty, ambitious, evil, you know? Yeah. That box that I've been put in, because in high school I took a quiz and they were like the snake with the green thing. And then they're also like, oh, and you're also not a not 100% a dude, not 100% a woman. You're non-binary. Okay, so we're going to put you in the chaotic, bisexual, non-binary, Slytherin box. And that's going to be your TikTok feed almost exclusively. And we're going to sell it back to you and you're yeah. going to eat it. That's such a good point, too. That's such a good point about how the algorithm is like, you like these things. You are this thing now. It's easier once you've put yourself into the box that you're in. It's easier to sell you stuff. Exactly. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And ultimately, me and my partner actually have a very similar way of viewing this. Like, I go by she, they, because I don't give a, I don't care. I don't care. Yeah, you know, like, I yeah. don't, yeah, you perceive me as a woman, fine, whatever. I'm, I'm not, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me in yeah. the long run, you know, because I know who I am and it's, it's, it's fine. It's, it, do, it doesn't matter how, how you <laughs> perceive me at all. It's cool. And they're the same way that it's just like, yeah, I know how I'm perceived and that doesn't matter in the long run to me. Mm -hmm. it, that's fine. Skylar has this problem a lot, even around here, you know, a, a, a liberal you know, bubble, supposedly progressive Seattle. Yeah. yeah. Every time they start work at a new place, they have to go through being misgendered every day, every hour doing yeah. whatever they're doing, you know, and every time they walk into a new workplace, they're like, are any of these people even going to have met a non-binary person before? They don't understand they them pronouns. They don't understand what they're doing. That's exhausting for them. Yeah. I, I mean, even in like queer spaces, especially with older people, Absolutely. I've experienced this a lot, especially if I'm getting hit on by some mustache at a bar, sure. you know. They continue to misgender uh, non-binary people. It's not like they're actively trying to be Right. It's negative. absolutely not malicious. It's no. just one of those things that comes with practice and it mm -hmm. comes over time. Frankly, the more people that you know that use non-binary pronouns, different pronouns from what you expect when you look at them or whatever, mm -hmm. the, just the easier it is for you. Yeah. My mother like still struggles with they them pronouns, but because, you know, my mother knows that there are people in my life who go strictly by they them pronouns, mm -hmm. you know, she is improving at it because she's working at it and she's practicing. But I totally understand that when you come into a new space with someone who's never encountered a person who goes by those pronouns, they're going to mess it up. It's just whether or not those people are willing to put in the time to learn or not. And it's kind of a crapshoot walking into a new space. I feel like there's a lot of um, sort of defensiveness on maybe both sides, but I've only really experienced it from like the cisgender side. I mean, I look fairly masculine, which is funny to me because up until like a couple years ago, I got misgendered as a woman a lot just because sure. I was very sprightly and thin. And um, I used to be much prettier. This is an audio medium. Just imagine I'm gorgeous. Um, but You are gorgeous. Uh, Thank you. But, um, you know, it's something that it's like, oh, actually, my pronouns are, are they them. And then, you know, you say it very gently and they go, what are you calling me transphobic? Are you, you know, are you calling me? It's like the left is eating itself um, oh, yeah. by tribalizing and super hyper fixating on things about identity and race and gender, all of which are very important things that we have crafted and covet. 
and we're destroying ourselves over that. And that's how the fascists are going to win. I mean, bleak, but correct. It's just so wild to me that fascists are so, um, they're so like uptight. They're like, oh God, they're destroying America. I'm like, dude, they're destroying themselves. Like yeah. <laughs> we had a no kink at pride discussion for like a month and we do this every goddamn year. <laughs> I still don't understand. I still don't understand the whole debate. Cause it's like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna be queer and that's, I'm gonna do my thing. Yeah, it's the whole push for family friendliness, you know, fitting into the mainstream. And it's like, you know what? I don't, can I, can I swear on this podcast? Absolutely. And it's like, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like for God fucking sake, the push towards family friendliness is how you get things like, oh, we're not going to portray this gay relationship because that's not family friendly. Listen, if I go to Pride, and I don't see a dude with his cock out. Is that pride even? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that it is. I'm like, not sure. I Where are my leather puppies out there, you know? That's what I'm saying. Also, like, props to, there is a huge leather puppy play community in Seattle that I haven't seen. I've lived a bunch of liberal areas. I've never seen this many, like, leather puppies, especially in the heat. Props to you guys. The chafing alone. Baby powder. Baby powder. The older I get and the more I have found my community, mm -hmm. it's just, I realize that, God, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Let it, let it matter to you. Let it be important to you. But like, I feel like so many people are, especially like in the online space, they're, they're craving validation for someone to be like, yes, this identity is valid. And there's so many people out there that also want to be like, no, your identity is bullshit because it doesn't make sense to me. You know, the the whole like, oh, do asexuals and aromantics belong in the queer community because they're not going to get hate crimed on the street or whatever. Like this is the goddamn, you know, oppression Olympics or whatever. And it's just, <laughs> it's so opposite of what I feel like the queer community should be to people. If we're trying to be more inclusive, just be more inclusive and stop trying to destroy, you know, right. everything that the fucking Stonewall riots stood for is right. kind of, you know, I've written a little bit about this uh, for the paper, just opinion pieces, but it's like Pride was a riot. Um, it is a very corporate event. It's a very, very corporate event. And while I have my own personal opinions about corporations and rainbow capitalism, we should also uh, acknowledge that it was not a corporation that started the Stonewall riots. And it was not a corporation uh, that continued to push for equal rights and, and equal opportunity. And I mean, we've said it so many times, putting ourselves in these boxes and letting ourselves have our identities sold back to us in a pretty prepackaged, family-friendly way, I think personally is destroying the queer community and is destroying us from the inside out in that way that money destroys pretty much everything it touches oh yeah capitalism is destroying everything and we're just another casualty of that yeah. like we're, slowly these communities are letting that happen because it's easier to there's also some sort of like return i guess this happens every few decades where it's like oh th there's free love and now we're puritans again and oh we're sexually open it's and the, now we're puritans again it's that 11 year cycle yes exactly yeah. And I see a lot of that in, like, for instance, no kink at pride discourse. Yeah. It is, oh, we've grown up in a largely Christian nation. Christianity flavors, unfortunately, flavors 
every part of our society. So when you say something like, oh, well, you can't be nasty at pride because then, well, because what? Children will see it or the straights won't accept us or whatever. You're doing the same thing that, that far right people are doing. Mm-hmm. It comes back around to, oh, they're nasty little freaks and that's unacceptable <laughs> in society or whatever. And I see that a lot in the younger generation and it breaks my heart. I think that TERFs have got a real foothold in online discourse. Mm-hmm. And I see that in the way that even when when someone isn't necessarily a TERF, you can tell that they've been in spaces where it's like, oh, don't say, don't say queer, don't say queer. That, that's something that came in the last, not even in the last decade, that came in the last five or six years, maybe. And that started as a talking point with TERFs. And then it got mm-hmm. kind of gained, like, it gained a foothold. And now you'll see, you'll have a 14-year-old online who's never heard of what, it, you know, has never heard of a TERF in their life will, will right. be parroting that back at you because they gained a hold of the discourse for at least a little bit of time. Enough time and to that, make and, a difference. Yeah. Exactly. And exactly. I mean, and it's changed yeah. the scene of how we see stuff happening online. Yeah, I've even had people argue with me about the arrangement of the letters in LGBTQIA+. The arrangement of the letters, what's more important? Mm-hmm. Why, you know. And now I think the official designation, at least from the Seattle Human Rights Commission when they were um shooting down Charlotte Lefevre, uh was delightful by the way. Love oh that. man, I got to deal with that firsthand because we were part of that event and then we right. dropped out and yes, I've I, had to, yeah. That's actually how I heard about it was was <laughs> was SGN making their announcement that they would be pulling out of that event. And I was like, hey, yeah. good for them. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, it's we're a 47-year-old company. We know better. You know, it's yeah. it's we're for everyone. And at the, at Pride when we were at the AMP, I had a, a woman come up to me and she basically in a very thick German accent was telling me very specific things about, no, it's the, a, the I has to be sooner. The A should be moved. The, like all of these things. I'm like, it's 105 degrees. I don't have time for this discourse right now, <laughs> but I appreciate it. Please come and write an op-ed for me. And, you know, I'm happy to hear the discourse. I'm happy to hear the observations, but as someone who was trying so hard to fit the um, straight white male like thing because I have Jewish heritage. So I'm not like a hundred percent white to white people. I'm bi, so I'm not, you know, bi plus it's the whole, like all of it's really, I don't understand why people have to force people into that box that they want and then rearrange it so that box fits them specifically having been told that every box that I supposedly fit, I don't actually fit for like my entire life. Now being told in my own community that like the arrangement of the letters is wrong and I am mad is like mind boggling to me. Do you, have you experienced anything like that? Oh boy. Well, I mean, I've been what the kids could call extremely online for (laughs) since online communities were taking off. I started in forums you know oh god yeah lord of the rings forums because i'm a loser (laughs) god i've seen every just ridiculous discourse that you can think of and i have witnessed so much of this like the ace discourse for instance i watched the rise of that like that didn't exist when i first found out what ace was Mm -hmm. you know that that wasn't a thing and then over time i watched this you know whatever my partner 
who had a very similar experience to you that mm-hmm. went through most of their life being like, I'm a straight white man and I'm not going to spend any time. I don't, I don't feel like I fit into any of those boxes, but other people are not going to think that I'm, you know, valid enough or that I'm queer enough or that I'm whatever. And it was really when we first started seeing each other where I was like, you don't have to be any of those things, right? Like there's not a quiz. There's not a, (laughs) there's not a final that you have to pass to be whatever you want to be. And they put it really well. It's funny in, in that they've started articulating ideas that I'm like, that's exactly it. I've never thought of it like that, but yes, it's that you are given by society at birth you're a straight man, you're a straight woman, this is who you are, this Mm -hmm. is what your path is in life. And I don't think, I personally don't think that queerness should be moving from I'm a straight man into I am now a bisexual whatever. You know, like, I don't feel like you should go from, you should have to step from one box into your other, your next small box. Mm -hmm. To me, queerness is freedom from those things it's it's freedom from the way that society has told you that you need to be and it's you can be who you want and what you want you know you don't have to conform to the ideas of what your identity is it's harmful for for me to be like oh these are my six labels and this is why i can talk about this subject and this is why i'm marginalized or whatever Mm -hmm. i want to exist and those words are are just descriptors for me so that I can explain my experience but they don't have to define my experience and I don't want them to and I see this a lot I've talked about this online before that the the thing right now online is to have cards c a r r r d s where when you like go onto someone's page they're like look at my card and it's like here's all of my marginalized identities and here's my triggers and here's my it's just like basically proving that oh yeah I can talk about lesbian discourse because I say that I'm a lesbian on my card or whatever right which that makes me vehemently ill I actually am getting you can't hear it from the tone of my voice but I'm very angry right now well and it's (laughs) it's insane it's so harmful also because it's like you're just putting out oh here's my mental illnesses and here's my identities and here's my race and here's my triggers and here's how you can basically ruin my life but people like uh, but there's so many i see this so much out of teenagers that it's like oh don't talk to me if you don't have a card in your bio because they want to be able to know oh how old is this person and how are you know is this person a lesbian and is this you know which is really really sick (laughs) i want to know if they fit all of my little check marks for who i want to hang out with exactly before i get to know them exactly it's so harmful it's very harmful it's also very obviously like the product of growing up in a social media like fluent world absolutely yeah for us where it was like don't tell any identity don't tell your name to a stranger and now for like at this point to just be here's all of my yeah trauma basically yeah y'all have enough like just meet me and you'll know you have enough to like punch me out of existence without knowing all of my baggage and trauma (laughs) Okay, there are two ways to look at that, right? That's A, that's terrifying, and holy shit, people are going to like get the shit beaten out of them somehow online in cyberspace, or B, that's like a more open and honest world, you know? But I also don't, like, I get why that argument can be made. Well, that's that's if we're living in an in, in ideal world, which we're, we're not doing. Of course not. No. So... <laughs> On that note, um, that's about our time for yeah. today. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, bleak. anyway, sorry about that. Uh, you know, 
bleak is another word for party. I don't know. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you thanks so for much having for having me. Of course, it was a delightful discussion. Bleak though it may have been. <laughs> um, is there anything you'd like to plug? Uh, anything that should go in the show notes? Anything you'd like to say to our listeners uh, before we head out? Hey, it doesn't matter. Stuff doesn't matter. Not to be like a nihilist or anything, but like, you know, is the thing that's hurting you that important in the long run? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm like, could you, could you no. imagine if I'm just like, hey, love yourself or whatever? Um, <laughs> no, no, like, I, I mean, life has no meaning. You got to make your own meaning. And... Exactly. I mean, I do mean, yeah. I do mean what I just said, but yeah. also what a weird way to end a show. No, I was, uh, hey, go listen to the second season of Save the D8. We've just started. <laughs> It's really delightful. I'm having a great time with it. There's a, my character, there's a big twist with my character. If you don't know, if you didn't listen to season one. So it's really fun. I don't know. Follow, follow me on Twitter at Monica Dominator. Both of those spelled the usual way, I guess. Great. That's all I got. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Do listen to season one, by the way. It's very good. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, so good. Ab- yeah, it's worth, it's worth the time. Um, all right. Well, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's always a great time chatting with Monica. Um, let's quickly talk about DaBaby, who is a homophobe. Da homophobe. Okay. That should be his new recording his stage name. That's what I was trying to come up with. Sure. It's a Sunday afternoon. I don't have words in my brain. Sure. That's all I really have to say about that. No uh, repercussions, really, for being homophobic in a lot of uh, the entertainment industry. But we knew that already. Yeah. The 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 industry of hip-hop is very homophobic um, in and of itself. And basically it's justified that if Lil Nas X can be himself then homophobes can be themselves as well and uh, mm-hmm. that's not right Lil Nas X just released a new music video I'm sure you guys were stoked on that again it's not really my scene you guys want to talk about that for a little bit yeah Hannah did you get the chance to watch uh the industry baby music video no I did not yet oh I'll just give you a few details uh fill you in it changed my life I had a spiritual awakening <laughs> the moment the YouTube ad stopped and Lil Nas appeared on the screen in his pink prison jumpsuit. Um, it was great. He really showed the depth of the experience he went through on trial with Nike for his uh, Satan shoes. He was sentenced to prison, according to the music video, where he created a riot. Um, there's a scene where he dances naked in the shower. They blur out, you know... Um, what they obviously need to blur out. Although he did offer some clickbait to dedicated fans on Twitter, a link to the unblurred version. Unfortunately, it lagged, but you know there is hope that it might exist somewhere on the dark web. And also included in his music video was ally um, Jack Harlow, that's his name. Sorry, it took me a beat to remember that. Jack Harlow, he he was featured on the track, and because Jack Harlow is a straight man, he was given a lady to be in the background of his little section, and that created a stir on Twitter where people said that it was messed up that Lil Nas was dancing with women, but Jack Harlow was, and Lil Nas went on to explain 
that he is gay. That's why he was dancing with men in crop tops. Um, I guess Twitter will never learn. Why can't you just dance with whoever you want to dance with? I bet those people have actually never been on a dance floor because you just slide around. Exactly, yeah. You dance with who's good, right? Yeah, you can dance if you want to. You can leave <laughs> your friends behind. Yeah. Especially if they're homophobic, like the baby. Yeah, if they're homophobic, they're not your friends. I mean... Find the nearest dumpster. Speaking of controversy, we have a quick update on the situation at Julia's. Loyal fans of our newspaper, loyal readers, will have been following the labor dispute with Julia's on Broadway, wherein the queens that worked there walked out because they felt they were being taken advantage of and not paid fairly. Josie Baird did a great piece following up on this controversy. Eladio Preciado spoke out uh, in his defense, that is the producer of La Faux, uh, which is the self-proclaimed largest cabaret-style celebrity impersonation show in America. Uh, there's a lot of queens that got their start on Broadway. Uh, a lot of people all over the country are actually paying attention to this. You know, people in San Francisco are looking at this. It's a tight-knit community. Um, I have it on good authority that Eladio is actually reaching out to people who used to work for him back in 08, 09. Um, people like Boy Mike, who uh, didn't get their start there, but had uh, one of their comebacks there, are being reached out to to come and perform, which makes a lot of sense, you know, uh, from my perspective. If you're going to try to get your, your business back up and running, you might as well reach out to people who uh, have some sort of loyalty to you. Uh, Lindsay, you had some thoughts on this piece. I did have some thoughts on this piece. I thought Presadio kind of sounded like um, a villain from an 80s movie What with his, I'm a producer, director, and owner. <laughs> I'm not a nice guy, you know? He's just, mm-hmm. this, when it inevitably becomes a movie, um, yeah, sure. I, I hope to be cast in it as a background character, of course. Um, he will not be painted in a nice light, you know? His defense was that he he believes he pays his queens accordingly. He allows them to seek other work um, elsewhere and doesn't control them and force them to only work at Julia's. Um, but, you know, you talked about loyalty, loyalty to the company versus loyalty to the sisterhood of, um, you know, the, the drag queen performers. And that sisterhood is very tight-knit and the bond that they share with their fellow performers is there and for a lot of the queens you know it was that bond that kept them at Julia's not a loyalty to Presadio or the venue itself um the article Josie's article even mentions that Queen Christy Champagne um she said the reason that she stayed as long as she did at Julia's was not because she was being treated well or being paid fair, but simply because she loved the queens she was performing with. They reopened Saturday, August 7th uh, with a full cast, a full lineup, and Josie did a great job really getting both sides and just providing the facts. There's a lot of juicy gossip, a lot of, you know, tea, as it were, and I'm the least hip person to have said that out loud on mic. But it's a great piece, and everyone needs to go and check it out. That is all the time we have for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hannah, do you have anything you'd like to say to our listeners on 
our way out. Yeah, just thank you for tuning in, and that's it. <laughs> I don't have anything. Lindsay? Uh, yeah, to quote the great uh, Biggie Smalls, I hope that if there's one takeaway you get from this financial issue, it is mo money, mo problems. Um, take that as you will. And to quote famously anti-mask 90s rock band Smash Mouth, the world's on fire. How about yours? That's the way I like it, and I never get bored. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Radio SGN. Radio SGN is recorded by A.V. Eichenbaum, Hannah Saunders, and Lindsay Anderson, and produced by A.V. Eichenbaum. Music for this show was by Jesse Spillane and TRG Banks, or was provided for free by Anchor. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in next time.